This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. And my guest today is none other than Scipio Tex. Actually, I should call him by his real name these days. His name is Paul Wadlington. Paul, welcome in, bud. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it, Bobby. Paul, I'm a longtime fan of your work. You've written... Uh, I guess going back to the Barking Carnival days, you do a pre and post game uh, review on offense and defense. Uh, and uh, it's uh, not only insightful writing uh, as far as what you see during the games and what you're looking forward to, it's also good writing. So it kind of mixes the two together of, of two of my favorite things, which is Texas football and, and writing in general, because I fashion myself as a more of a reporter than a writer per se, but uh Definitely uh, uh, one of my favorite reads for a long period of time and uh, glad to glad to have you in here. Well, I appreciate that, Bobby. And uh, the, the admiration society is mutual. And uh, honestly, if we haven't been playing really great football for the last decade, I might as well write entertainingly and try to throw in a couple of good ideas and, you know, at least amuse myself, if not the reader. Yeah, well, I've got to start with your name, with your nickname that you've gone by, because I actually took some Roman history in high school. And so I'm, I'm aware of the, uh, the genesis of the name and the, the Scipio Africanus, I, I think is you go by Scipio Tex. It's That's a little it. bit different, but uh, he defeated Hannibal. Is that right? I think he did. did. Yeah. So where, where, who did you defeat to get that name? I guess. All comers, Bobby, all comers. <laughs> no, I, uh, I am a big uh, reader of history, also specifically military history. And in fact, uh, took military history at the University of Texas uh, when they still offered that. It was a thing uh, from a guy named John Lampier, great professor. And I ended up you know, doing well in the classes. He had two different military history from sort of inception of war to 1640, which is sort of the gunpowder revolution. And then 1640 to modern times. I took both classes. I ended up becoming his TA, uh, which is crazy. I, I was not a graduate student in history. I was, I was an undergrad. I was the only undergrad TA at the University of Texas. He had to get a special dispensation, but he thought I knew more about it than his grad students. So he let me be the TA for the class. I got paid. I got you know, benefits, all sorts of stuff my senior year of college. And uh, it was pretty funny. It was hilarious grading people's papers and seeing the range of student that's at the University of Texas. It was pretty amusing. Uh, and I can only imagine uh, what those papers look like, given some of my own uh, submissions to teachers through the years. Uh, that reminds me, one of the guys I, I took a classics class at Texas under Dr. Galinsky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, theater. He, his was one of my favorite classes. 
it dealt with uh, a little bit with uh, Roman history, a lot of uh, uh, classical literature involved in it as well. So um, Suetonius comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. I digress. This isn't Texas football. So let's talk about it a little bit. Um, you and I have both been uh, graduated from Texas, longtime observers of University of Texas football teams. Um, and I really want to talk to you today about Steve Sarkeesian and, and what he's got ahead of him uh, as it relates to building this program. And I, and I mean that not necessarily because we're in the throes of a season right now, right? There's no way for us to not consider that. But as we look out long term, you know, what are the things that he needs to put in place that the, the strengths that you see him developing or has developed and brings to the table versus the things that you see lacking right now, potentially? Well, I, I think he's a strong offensive mind. I don't think that's changed. And I know that Texas has swooned on offense in a couple of fourth quarters consecutively. I don't think that's. Uh, an indictment of Sarkeesian per se. I think he's running out of ideas uh, for an offense that's got some limitations in it. Uh, I do think there's a couple of things that look, all new coaches that take over a program, there's a real tension between running your program and what you want to do ultimately, and then maximizing what the players do best right now. And I argued pretty strenuously that I thought Texas had identified a pretty strong base element of their offense in the outside zone run game wide zone. I'm a big proponent of that scheme uh, from Alex Gibbs to Kyle Shanahan. Right. And I think it opens up an offense and I think it is an offense. I think it's an offensive system or approach that allows you to punch above your fighting weight. If you don't have ideal great athletes at every position. Uh, I thought Texas created a little bit of an identity with that late last year. And I thought they should have carried that over more strongly in the Sarkeesian regime. Now, Sark does run wide zone. He does do outside zone, but it's, it's a minor and not a major. And we were just talking about college. You know, you know a lot more in something you major in than the minors. And I think his running game is a bunch of minors sewed together and it gives you some flexibility and some versatility, but that's something you build over time. And I think he could have made a better commitment to wide zone. Um, he would probably argue, and I wouldn't put words in his mouth because he's forgotten more offense than I know, but he would argue it's harder to build a play action game the way he wants it off of that concept. But, you know, we've got an opponent um, this Saturday, Baylor, that has built an entire offense off of the wide zone concept, including their passing game. And so, and, you know, Texas has the mobile quarterbacks that you can do the sprints and all the stuff that's a part of that offense. Um, that all said, you've got to ultimately let the coach run his program, even if you have to eat some losses and suffer in the early parts. If it's all worth it, who cares, honestly? Uh, you know, look, famously, Nick Saban didn't exactly set the world on fire his first year at Alabama. And so Pete Carroll, world was not set on fire first year at USC. Uh, sometimes this stuff takes time. And then, uh, yeah, I'd say on defense, there were some things that maybe they didn't recognize. You know, Pete Kwiatkowski, I think, had a way he wanted to run the defense. And I think we can get very caught up in scheme and all that. That stuff's important. I, I like talking about it. But sometimes the scheme forgets the fact that how you dispose the players, their disposition at the snap, how they're being utilized is as important as where they're lining up or the overall philosophy of the defense. So point in case, the defensive line, 
I think you've got Moro Jomo, Tavondre Sweat, Alfred Collins. Those are three athletic guys who can penetrate, take a gap, and create problems for an offensive line if they can get upfield. And we played them to catch blocks, quite frankly. Heads up, two gap, catch blocks, uh, catch and release, right? Clear, you know, create a clear sight picture for the safeties and linebackers. Well, we've since learned that the safeties and linebackers aren't the strength of this defense. And maybe we should look at doing a little more gap, a little more playing to the strengths of these guys. And, you know, truthfully, Alfred Collins was sitting on the bench early in the year. And I think he's the most talented guy on the defense. So I think that was evidence when we played against Oklahoma State. Because beyond the box score, Joseph Cook, precocious Joe Cook, did a phenomenal job highlighting what I wrote about in my postmortem, which is he was impacting the game on almost every play, even if it didn't show up in the box score. So I'd say there's a, a tension between what the coach needs to do long-term to fulfill his vision, and then the short-term, hey, let's just do X, Y, and Z and work towards that because we need some wins for recruiting. We need some wins to give the fans some sense of hope and belief. Uh, but there's a tension there between not compromising what it is you believe in. So that was a long rambling dissertation on a broad question. But, uh, you know, ultimately, you got to have a little faith in these guys that they know what they're doing. But it doesn't mean I'm not a little frustrated that I felt that at, in August I could have or actually in the spring, I could have met with his staff and said, hey, just so you know, these guys, these guys are good at this. Incorporate that as you will. Yeah, I, I feel like um, my response to that is not not to disagree with you. It's to, to add a little something to it. It's my opinion that new coaches, that when they go into new programs, I think it's very often that they overestimate the players they have on hand versus their competition. Um, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski may have thought, hey, this defense is going to work with these guys mm -hmm. as well. And they just they just weren't good enough to do it. Um, same with, with Sark and some of his power concepts. You know, he just didn't have the guys. He, maybe he thought they were better than they were. Or he thought he would get away with it. Um, and I, and I, I feel like if, if I could tell I, – and I, I go back to something that Tom Herman famously said – in a private matter, he told a group of reporters um, uh, prior to his first season at Texas, hey, I think I can win the Big 12. This is a much better offensive line than I ever had at Houston. Uh, I remember. Or, or Ohio State. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my point being, they're, they're, I think that that's the one thing that any coach changing jobs uh, needs to be uh, aware of. Um, and I, I feel like if he, you know, you mentioned Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, okay? The one thing both of those guys have in absolute common, because they are two very different personalities, um, is that they both have an astute eye for talent. Yes. Um, and I would say that that, that is where Steve Sarkeesian um, and his group thus far did not identify that early or they're so focused on just winning what they can right now and then finding that talent as they go forward. But um, I, I feel like if there's been a misstep, yours is more of a scheme related slash what can these guys do? Mine is more of an 
I think he almost had a little bit of an overestimation of talent level, perhaps. I mean, I, you know, I don't know to, to that point, I don't know what he truly thinks, right? Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, other than Arkansas, they've been in every game. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I, I completely agree with you that, I mean, he's a guy that's going to forget more offense than I'll ever know. Um, and he, the, the great thing about Steve Sarkeesian that I think is that will carry forward from here until he finishes football coaching is he will find people to get open in space. Yes. I mean, that's the, that, that was perhaps the most maddening thing about Tom Herman. He would like to beat you in a phone booth. Right. Whereas, you know, <laughs> he would rather, Sark is, is more about getting people open. And uh, so from a Texas fan perspective, that is more easily recruitable to, more easily replicable, I think, um, uh, and may take less uh, uh, execution among all parts of it, right? Yep. Um, so you mentioned Kwiatkowski, and I want to ask you about that. Uh, his his he is going now what looks like to to a more three four look you mentioned with the insertion of Collins right yep um, he also puts Ovio Agufo and uh, Rayshon Thornton on the field at the same time Texas is a much bigger front now with those five compared to the three that they were they're with and Jacoby Jones is not small but he's not big at all right and so even though Jacoby played well. Uh, for much of the season until he was injured, I, I still think it's a bigger lineup, right? And so is that because Texas now faces the run-heavy portion of its schedule, you think? Or is it because he now sees maybe I can rely on my corners a little bit better, a little bit more, or these teams are just gashing me if I don't do it in the run game? All the above. And I also think he identified properly he needs to get Alfred Collins on the field, and it's not going to be as a heads-up, two technique or even a three technique and you know so a three technique not to get all nerdy football but it's where the interior defensive tackles lined up on the outside shoulder of the guard typically you do that to take a gap to get penetration uh, but we were actually running it to catch blocks to basically force a double team where you don't try to penetrate and that does not play to alfred collins strengths you know alfred collins is very athletic uh he's got a lot of burst. He's a gifted athlete. And you want to give him either an opportunity to line up on an interior gap, taking the gap or outside. So he can just use his natural athleticism to, you know, abuse an offensive tackle. So part of it is to get Collins on the field. Part of it is because the structure of the offenses we're playing allows it, right? Because they're more traditional, conventional offenses. It's funny, you know, people were all pining, oh, Pete Kwiatkowski, he's going to have a wake-up call in the Big 12 with these big, crazy, creative offenses. Eh, you know, they're still very creative, but a lot of the Big the Big 12 has gone to a heavier run bias than, you know, any time pre-spread that we've seen. And so I don't think they're going to install the wishbone anytime soon, but, you know, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and certainly Baylor are more than happy to line up in very conventional offense and run the ball, as is Texas. So... Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's a factor. And then we're going to see uh, later in the year as, you know, or even, you know, potentially a bowl game, hopefully that what they would do against a true spread team. But, you know, the thing that complicates all this, Bobby, is the big 12 just isn't real good right now. You know, there's no great team in the league. I'm not even sure there's a very good team, 
but I don't think there's a lot of just terrible teams either. Uh, I don't, I think South Carolina is a worse team than most of the big 12, right? Same goes for Vandy. Same goes for Missouri. Um, I don't think there's any embarrassing teams other than maybe Kansas, but uh, you know, so there's this weird sort of uh, below average to above average range. So it's hard to get a real bead on what our games against Oklahoma state or Oklahoma even mean. And uh, so I mean, we'll find out over the totality of the season, but it's, it's, inter- it's interesting. Um, the way OU has come back and, and beat Texas and then even came back against Kansas last week was running the ball. Yeah. I mean, they, they, Caleb Williams chunked a few down prayers and, and they were answered, but largely speaking, it was running the ball. It, it wasn't the passing game. And so, um, you know, and they weren't doing it necessarily from tight sets either. Right. Uh, like unlike what Texas has done or what, uh, uh, Baylor and uh, Iowa State in particular uh, like to do. Um, well, do you- I would add one thing on that, Bobby. Baylor runs wide zone, but they also call it spread wide zone for a reason, which is they like to tinker with their line splits quite a bit. So you'll see some instances when they, well, we might see some instances when they play Baylor that they'll line up tight and sort of run wide zone. Or they'll actually line up with almost like not quite Mike Leach level gaps between the offensive linemen, but they'll line up with big gaps and they'll invite you to try to take those gaps and then run wide and try to turn the corner uh, and or set up some little RPO screen game stuff. But yeah, it's interesting how they, they tinker with outside zone and do some different stuff. It's something to look for. So it's kind of intriguing to, to watch how, how he plays with that concept just through line splits. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting, right? Um, we talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. The offense is, is ranked nationally um, in the top 25-ish. The defense is ranked in the bottom 25-ish, right? Now, you can debate whether these stats are actually meaningful or meaningless based on number of snaps and, and what have you. Um, but I, I think we both agree that Sarkeesian's the right guy for offense. Do we reasonably agree that Kwiatkowski's the right guy for defense, or do we not know yet? We're going to find out. Look, he's, he's had a rough start, but he has built up enough of a resume that you've got to give him some benefit of the doubt. There are some things, I think, early that I was a little frustrated that he didn't recognize, but it seems as the, the years evolved, he has recognized some of those things. Um, you know, Texas has really bad safety play, and it's at times hard to watch. I think the linebackers catch a lot of that flack that some of these things are actually the safeties. And, um, you know, they're called on to, to do some things in support. And I know they're playing them deep, but they do still have a run support role and they, they can see the field. They, they you know, and really the, the, uh, their role is in the name safety, right? <laughs> their job is to keep it to, as an 11 yard run instead of a 65 yard run. And they've been failing in that capacity. Um, so I think that's hurt them a little bit because one thing about his Washington teams man, they tackled really well for the most part. And that's not something we've seen consistently uh, from some of those second level and third level players. Yeah, I, I've got to be, as it relates to the safety play, my thought process is really, it's, it's been a mostly three-man rotation uh, with Brennan Schooler, uh, B.J. Foster, and Jaron Thompson. Of the three, Jaron Thompson's the most instinctive, right? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt, but he's also the least athletic and least fast of the three. At least developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that 
that in and of itself um, puts you in a, a quandary of sorts. Like, you know, how do you even rotate those guys in? And, and because of his lack of athleticism, relatively speaking, I think that that Thompson's missed some some big tackles. He missed Caleb Williams, obviously, on that, that long touchdown run where Thompson just, you know, basically bowed his head before and tried to make a tackle for loss instead of wrapping up. And I, I feel like – and Caleb Williams is going to do that to people, by the way. I think he's better than than most people realize as a runner. Uh, his, his run against uh, Kansas was – Peter Caleb Nelson. Williams is actually a big, strong guy. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like Vince and a little – not different type of runner, but stronger than you really fathom when you see him, right? He's, he's like a powerful 215. He's, yeah. he's more physically developed than you'd think for a freshman quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess my my thought pass on that is the, the safeties haven't been good. Um, and, you know, I feel like the linebackers – um, even DeMarvin Overshone, who I think is, he's got an NFL career ahead of him. So he's not, uh, I'm not saying he's not good. It's just, I feel like they're taking missteps repeatedly and yes. getting caught up in the wash a lot and, and unable to get off blocks more than anything. Um, yeah, they're, and- they're a finesse linebacker group. And I said that early in the year, and they're even more finesse than I thought as I asserted that. Uh, I, I even wrote that in my preview, but yeah, I got to say, I mean, I don't want to open this can of worms yet until I get more data points, but I've hinted at it. I even recorded a podcast solely dedicated to talking about this, but I don't think this is a very strong Texas football team. And uh, I've seen some guys actually get weaker and that's not a good trend. Uh, the trend is always supposed to be up or level in terms of strength for an individual player in a major college SNC program. So if you're going to play catch block defense, physical strength and your ability to hold ground and grab a guy and control him and discard him, that's placed at a premium. So that's a bad pairing. If your strength and conditioning program isn't emphasizing raw strength with the sort of catch and release, you know, front four. So anyway, I, I don't have all the data points on that, but some of the things that I have heard Tory Becton opine publicly brought a little concern. And as I dug into it and asked around I don't still have enough data points to opine, you know, like authoritatively on this, but I've got some concerns and I don't like what I see on the field in terms of Texas getting pushed around physically. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned a podcast. I want to give you an opportunity, please, to to promote that because uh, I, I am a listener, uh, but uh, want to other people to have an opportunity too. So so give me your uh, 30 second elevator pitch on the podcast. Oh, I, no elevator pitch required, more of an escalator. Uh, <laughs> It's called Everyone Gets a Trophy Podcast, and probably by the title, you can guess a sense of the sensibility of the pod and the the thrust of it, but it's with Kevin Dunn, who's a longtime uh, Austin radio personality and UT fan, very knowledgeable. Uh, Unfortunately, he also likes baseball a lot, so we have to talk about that sometimes, but uh, it's it's meant to be fun and entertaining, but also analytical, and uh, yeah, everyone gets a trophy if you're interested, and it's got a lot of Texas content, but we also talk about whatever we feel like as well. We went back and forth on the most underrated and overrated Halloween candy for a good 10 minutes last show. So I may have to get your input on that one, Bobby. Uh, anything to do with candy. I'm Mike Leach. Anything to do with candy corn is overrated. That's the right answer. Yeah. I'm now, sorry. Almond Joy. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Not a, not a fan either. I You're my guy. I You're gave those, hey, at least I could trade those with some people. Candy That's corn. the approach. 
that I always took with with almond joys, with mounds. Uh, what sort of sociopath gives mounds to a child? I would put those aside and find that weird one kid who would give me his hundred grand bar or his Snickers or Hershey's Kisses for that. So yeah, that's good trading. Yeah, the one, the one, Bobby. I know it's your pod and you're running the show here, but talent is always going to be important. And you talked about that eye for talent. Both Saban and Carol have a very discerning eye. Talent's also developed, right? Because you're also looking at potential. How much of Texas is going to be rebuilt through recruiting? And how much of it is going to be rebuilt through this new mechanism of the portal? Um, Giving exact percentages is not possible, in my opinion, because I think it's uh, it is completely dependent on what you can get and where you can get it. And you don't know these days. Yeah. Right. I mean, there may be an offensive tackle that comes along in the portal that's better than anything you could get in recruiting. That, that's two years further advanced. Yep. Right. But you don't know that until he becomes available. Um, you know, I look at what. Chris Beard at Texas has done in the portal at Texas Tech and at Texas thus far in basketball. But basketball is such a different sport, as you know. Three players change a a roster undeniably in basketball. I mean, you you put Carmelo Anthony on Syracuse and they could win a national title. You take them off and they're barely 500 in the Big East. Right. right? And that's my point. So, you know, Putting a percentage on it is, is I can't do, but I can say this. I don't think there's any question that the people that harness the portal the best, I mean, really well, they're actually evaluating the players beyond, beyond the highlight video they send you will be the ones that end up finding gold in the portal. And I don't know who all is doing that yet. Okay, I don't know if Texas is fully doing it, Um, but that is my absolute belief is that if you're going to be the portal is now part of recruiting, you might as well just call it recruiting. And if you're not evaluating them like you are, you don't just evaluate highlights on high school players. Right. Me and you may or the the casual fan might look at uh, the highlights and say, "Ooh, what a player. Right. But that's not what college coaches are meant to do. And so if they're not putting that sort of level of expertise and um, critical thought into uh, a player in the portal, all players in the portal, really, that may fit what they want, then I think they're missing out. And I think that if you miss out on that, Davo Sweeney is, I, I think, great. He's won two national championships. You want a recipe for not getting any more? Neglect a major pipeline of talent coming into your program, you know, yeah, no, it's, that reminds me of like the 19, 1990s. Oh, we don't want to mess with those internet companies because Goldman Sachs doesn't do that. You know, right. we want to, and ultimately there's, you can say, well, that, that went the wrong way at that point in time. But I also believe, um, I, I do know this um, for Texas fans. I really like Billy Glasscock the director of, uh, he's basically the head of evaluator guy. I think that he came from NC state where he found his job was to find guys that not everybody looked at, uh, same with Minnesota real heavy on, uh, verifiable measurables, 
for him. Uh, so he was one of the first adapters of a thing called tracking football. Hmm. It was at Minnesota. Um, and tracking football measures, uh, it gains all kinds of measurements that are legitimized via track and other sports and kind of creates a, mashes them all together and creates kind of a power ranking. I, I don't necessarily agree with their power ranking aspect of it. I do agree with quantifiable data saying this player is faster than that player, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like where they, I like that hire a lot. Um, I am concerned that maybe there's not as many salesmen on the staff. Um, they are primarily coaches on the staff, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and so the ability to attract that talent is questionable, but I think he did a nice job with the hire uh, for the evaluation piece. And so, Paul, I don't, I don't have the answer um, to that question, but I definitely believe that um, the portal is, I, I, I couldn't imagine going into being a college football coach right now and knowing that the portal is available because it is the free agent market, whether you want it to be or not. I mean, it absolutely is. And so I've been impressed uh, with what other people have done, but no one, in my opinion, has done it great thus far. You know, if you and I were involved with the University of Texas personnel, or if they just wanted our opinion, what I would pitch to them is the idea that they have to have two player personnel departments. Integrated, not distinct or separate, but two. One is focused on high school and junior college players, and one is focused on the rosters of other universities. And the thing that distinguishes the portal from the waiver wire in the NFL is people on the waiver wire, by definition, are either incredibly rough and undeveloped or they have eh, they're kind of decent depth. Right. Or they're a good program guy. But it's a guy that you're willing to risk and expose to being taken by another team. The portal, you could potentially get a star of a major university or you could get a very, very good player who was the third guy in the, the Alabama running back room. And I'm not just talking about Keelan Robinson. I'm talking about Alvin Kamara, right? That's what he was. So I think you need to have a player personnel department that's as focused on your peer competitors and their rosters and what's going on in those places. And as much as you're focusing on high school players and JUCOs, both are, are important and crucial you don't want to become a pure mercenary program just built off a portal. I don't think that's effective, particularly in football. But I think you need to have a legitimate scouting department whose outward focus is laser beamed on your peer competitors or superstars at lower levels of football who want that one last year to show their NFL merit against, you know, FBS competition. I, I think there's a lot of unmined un, uh, gold there, potentially. I. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that um, I question sometimes uh, the overspending that we've seen in college sports. I really, I'm not one of these guys, while I believe that um, college football is a business to my core and I have no problem with NIL whatsoever and haven't had it forever, I do feel like um, the spending in some instances gotten out of control I mean, the salaries for college assistant coaches, not just the head and the head coach is bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, there's no telling what LSU is getting ready to pay for a head coach if it's the right coach. It's um, and so I feel like 
even that there's been this um, rising tide of assistant salaries that are now, I mean, we have three assistants at Texas, Texas making over a million a year. Is that right? Or two? I can't, I can't remember, but my point is yeah. banks and Kwiatkowski probably, I don't think Millie makes that much, but maybe two. Yeah. And so yeah. My, my point though, being is what used to be a $150,000 a year job or $250,000 a year job is now a $750,000 job. Yeah. And that's, that is huge. I mean, I, that, that, uh, you know, one of these analysts or a department that you're talking about, that wouldn't cost. I mean, if you, you have two to three to five people, I mean, I've, I've hired people, you've hired people probably before as well. Yeah. Three to five people's 300 to 500 grand. Mm-hmm. And that, so that 250 to 750 for that assistant coach all of a sudden could have been an, an additional scouting department to your point. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't have, you know, but, you know, I don't think University of Texas is hurting for money. So I'm not going to bemoan that fact or act like it's, it's something that, that they should even consider from a, a consider financially. Uh, it's a rounding error effectively to what they want to do. But my point would be, is I, I agree with you. Um, uh, you know, but it's, it's a brave new world, um, in that regard, because no one has, I think we're also because of NIL, the portal is changing too, just from the two years or three years it's been going on right now. NIL, I think has the opportunity to your point to, to, I mean, flip it all upside down. Yeah. Um, School is good for my brand, right? And yeah, that's going to be a strange evaluation, but it's going to be a thing and you've got to market to it and you've got to, you know, you've got to embrace it to some degree. Yeah. It's funny. You're talking about the inflation of coaches salaries. You know, I might've made different decisions in my professional life had I known that this was going to occur, but um, you're an old hand, so you might know this anecdote, but when Texas was transitioning to uh, David McWilliams, they went and interviewed John Cooper, who, as you recall, was the big hot name at Arizona State, took him to the Rose Bowl, right? And John Cooper was an exceptional recruiter, pretty polished guy. Um, obviously, he ended up going and getting the Ohio State job later. He was very interested in Texas. So Texas meets with him in a hotel, and, you know, it's all secret and hush-hush. And Texas slides across their offer, you know, probably jotted on a napkin, and he looks at it. And then looks back at him kind of quizzically and says, is, is this the offer? And they said, absolutely, Coach Cooper. And he said, this is what my offensive coordinator makes. I don't think uh, I'm going to be the coach at Texas. And Texas said, oh, okay. This David McWilliams guy at Texas Tech, he went seven and five in one year. Let's go hire him. Let's bring him back. Let's bring him back a Texas legacy. Uh, and he's a lot cheaper, right? And so we've had this incredible inflation where – what we would have considered an incredible groundbreaking contract for a head coach back then. That's what you're paying a fairly big name offensive or defensive coordinator now, uh, you know, to go back to the old John Cooper story. So yeah, the Texas used to be quite cheap for how powerful and big it was. And now we can spend a lot, but that spending hasn't necessarily yielded wins or results. No. And and that's what they need. And that's what Texas needs. They need it to yield results uh, to even increase more cash flow into the to the coffers. Personally, they need some NOI. That's what they need. <laughs> What's that? They need some ROI or NOI, depending on your I, preferred I, metric. Yeah, I, I I totally agree, and I think 
you know, you mentioned John Cooper, and it just cracks me up because John Cooper, Phil Fulmer, and Mac Brown, I don't know if you know this, all were born and lived and grew up within like a 50-mile square radius of one another. In eastern Tennessee, right? Yeah, mid-east mid Tennessee, yep. Oh, okay. And so the, the, the hilarious part of that is, you know, those guys, the – you know, they're, they're kind of a crew, or at least they were at one point. So um, I think that, you know, you look at where Texas is at right now, and I, I want to segue to this, this conversation and new leadership at Texas across the board. Okay. Uh, not only uh, does Steve Sarkeesian come in as head coach, but he's placed there by Kevin Eltife as chair of the board of regents, who's recently elected and placed in that role. Chris Del Conte is only a couple of years into the job at, as athletic director. Jay Hartzell is the new president of the university. And so we have new blood across the board, seemingly, uh, at Texas. Del Conte, um, of all those guys, probably has the most, uh, you know, trophies on the wall, right? Because he's been doing this longer. Uh, Texas just won the Director's Cup here, the Sears Director's Cup, which is for the best athletic department with the highest finishes across the deal, across the, the university. But, you know, beyond that, I feel like these guys are doing the right thing. Like, I feel for the first time in a long time that they're almost in concert completely. Mm-hmm. Um you get that sense as well. I'm at, I talk to some people on and off the record, and that is how I feel about the overall direction. And I wonder if you, I know you talk to people as well, if you're hearing something similar. I have a great deal of confidence in L-Type and Hartsville. Um, CDC, I have a lot of confidence in executing within a narrower set of parameters, perhaps defined by the aforementioned two gentlemen. So, um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of confidence in those two. Now, that said, the job of running a university is not about football, right? They've, they've got bigger fish to fry, but I think they understand the integral nature of there's a lot more contributions. There's a lot happier alumni when Texas football, especially, but Texas basketball and then Texas baseball is performing at a high level. And if you can get all three going at the same time as we got – in the 2000s, right? That mid 2000s was just an amazing time to be a Longhorn fan. It spoiled us. And uh, you get all three running. You get a lot of buildings built. You get a lot of contributions made. You get a lot of students. You know, the, the Flutie effect is a real thing, right? You know, Boston College had something like 50% more applications after Doug Flutie won the Heisman and uh, really improved and grew as a university. Already a good school, but kind of became a, a national school that people knew and recognized. So it's a real thing. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm going to be a Texas fan and Texas diehard, whether we go three and nine or 14 and zero. But uh, I feel like we're in good hands with Hartzell and Eltif. And I think CDC is very good within uh, fundraising, uh, within the parameters of basically money whipping minor sports. Right. I mean, let's be honest what that's about. You're going to get a Vic Schaefer to coach women's basketball because you write him a huge check and he's proven himself at a place that shouldn't be very good at women's basketball. Right. So you just write a big check and take him to Texas and let the excellence happen. Right. I'm all about that. But 
hiring in football, hiring in basketball, maybe baseball, it's a little more discerning and there's more, there's more levers and things going on there. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the thing about l and Hartzell that strike me um, as not necessarily unique to them, because, but I think it's the first time where I believe that those two people simultaneously are competitive for major sports. Like they, they want to be good. It's not, oh, you know, we might be good. Oh, let's just trust our coach to do good. Right. They actually, I feel like both of them, um, not necessarily from talking to me, I mean, but from the actions and what I've heard uh, uh, of how they speak to others, that it actually sincerely matters and it's part of who they are and what they want to be is that competitive person for the, the uh, university. And that doesn't necessarily mean any former chair of the Board of Regents didn't feel that way because I'm, I'm pretty sure most Board of Regents chairs have felt that way. I'm, I'm more concerned about the leadership of the university the president hasn't always felt that way, right? Um, they tend to have less, they, they tend to be looking for the next job in some respects or being elevated within. So. Do you remember or not getting fired? Yeah, 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 no doubt. Political climate and everything else that's going on at universities, right? So uh, have you ever read, read or perused this, the trash periodical Us Weekly? Maybe one <laughs> of the women in your life has introduced you to it. My wife, my wife on airplanes, like buys all of those and then exactly. them in with like 15 minutes. Yeah. So I, I do it with like girlfriends, whatever. And I pick it up specifically to read it and mock them. Right. Uh, and of course, I read a lot of stupid trash, too, that I'm sure they could do the same to me, but they have more class than I do. But there's a feature in Us Weekly called Just Like Us. And all it is is a bunch of pictures of stars getting Starbucks at coffee or uh, Starbucks coffee or walking their dog. And the whole premise is Ryan Reynolds or Julia Roberts is just like us. And it shows her sipping a Starbucks, right? Then they snap some paparazzi snapped a photo. That's how I feel about Eltif and Hartzell. They're just, if you and I were sitting in a room talking to those guys, we'd be agonizing about the same play call and we'd be talking about the good times and we'd, I mean, they're big fans and they're also sharp, sophisticated guys who obviously are not just, you know, rubber stamping, right? This isn't a USC athletic director, right? <laughs> they like to hire the old ex-jocks who didn't really know what they were doing. Mike um, Garrett, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan. There you go. You're, you're is, that, is, that the, is that their version of the triumvirate? That's it. Wow. We're tracking. So, but I think these guys are just like us and I think they want to compete. I think they want to win. I think they see the greater totality of the university of how it benefits the university, but also think just personally, they want the football to be good. They want the basketball to be good. They know the power and unity and bonding that having a fun athletic, uh, you know, sort of culture can bring at a big state university. It's a lot of fun. If you've ever talked to people who went to, you know, elite private schools, they'll all tell you, man, there's times I wish on a Saturday I went to Auburn or Alabama or Texas or, you know, and had that big, you know, stadium and people yelling and he's like, you know, but we're at Princeton and, <laughs> and I was at the library or we went to some sort of, you know, stupid protest, <laughs> whatever they're doing. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think they're just like us. That's my us weekly metaphor. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's what's relatable about those guys. In addition to the fact that I think they're very sharp.
Yeah, I think I think it's accurate. I, I think it's accurate. So, Paul, we're gonna we're gonna end it here. Um, and I, I wanted to say thank you uh, for joining me. Uh, I hope we get an opportunity to do this again soon because uh, I really believe that uh, you're one of the best writers I read, generally speaking, on a number of or any number of topics, but uh, specifically as it relates to Texas football. Uh, just I, I think that I speak for a lot of fans when I say that we look forward to your writing um, and the skill with which you do it and your observations. And uh, I hope to be reading it for a long, long, long time to come, man. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me on. We'll do it many more times. And uh, yeah, I think this will probably prove that I should stick to writing and not video and uh, probably better in the written word than the uh, verbal word. So my, my Us Weekly comparison probably sank me with the, with the readership. Yeah, uh, I think they'll. I think I think it was an accurate metaphor. So I think they'll be fine. So um, Paul has not only does he write for InsideTexas.com uh, a couple times a week, uh, but he also has a podcast called Everybody Gets a Trophy. Everyone gets a trophy. Every oh, excuse me, not every everyone gets a trophy. There's, we do that. By the that's way, my poor writing there. That's my poor writing there, Paul. I said everybody. He said everyone. Um, inclusive guy. That's there we go. So everyone gets a trophy podcast uh, available on, on Apple and other podcasts, uh, uh, Spotify. I know I, that's where I've listened to it. Um, and then also please consider uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel here uh, for On Texas Football. But uh, for Paul Wadlington, Scipio Tex, uh, I'm Bobby Burton, and thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.